Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number eight, ed.com. Now, here's your host, Greg Shoemaker. You know, part of building a great user experience is that, well, your software actually has to work. So today, we're joined by debugging expert and Wintelec consultant, John Robbins, who's going to part some wisdom on how to approach debugging in your applications and give some debugging war stories that just squeak past the non-disclosure agreement. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash debug. And if you got email, send it to show at getpixelated.com. So, you know, the thing is, I mean, you can test, you can plan, you can document, you can do whatever you want and try to do up front. But the fact of the matter is, is we're still going to write software with bugs in it. And uh, that, that's just true for everybody. Now, me, I, you know, I really like the creative process of writing software, whether it's designing the layouts or just crafting a, a business logic layer that works elegantly and, and works as it should. I really dig that part, but debugging has always been something that um, I've had to struggle in order to really get good at. I've got a couple of resources here that I want you to check out when you get some time. Kind of along the lines of one of those, you know, quick tip of the day or something like that. I found this article by Travis uh, Laborde. I think that's how you say his last name. Easier debugging with attributes. And if you want to check out the article, it's at shrinkster.com slash 102 and the letter H, 102H. And what he shows you how to do is to apply some attributes to your methods, properties, or classes that allow the debugger to see a little more information about these classes. Now, some of the attributes I would think you'd really want to stay away from because uh, you can hide things from the debugger. You can, you can tell the debugger to skip stepping through a property and you know, while that saves you some time while you're debugging, um, I, I don't think you'd ever really want to hide anything from the debugger because, you know, finding these little obscure bugs is about seeing everything. But one of the things that I did like about it was that he showed you how to use an, an attribute called the debugger display attribute. And this is really nice because what this will allow you to do is decorate a class so that when you look at it in the debugger, let's say you're looking at a collection of objects, you know, usually you see the, the collection and then index zero, index one, blah, blah, blah. And it calls the two string and it just shows the class name. You've probably seen that a million times. But instead of getting that kind of feedback from the debugger, what you can do is, is put this attribute on your class. And so that when the debugger looks at the class, when it looks at an instance of the class, you can tell it, well, okay, print out the first and last name of, of this person class or whatever seems to make sense to you. So that makes when you hit those breakpoints and are looking at, at particular classes in, in, in debugging a lot easier because you can see some of the data. And, and what's nice is that you can structure it any way you want. You have full control over, over how it's gonna look. So. I really liked his article. I, I, I suggest you check it out. Um, also, th there's a, a blog that I came across maybe two years ago. Her name is Tess Ferrandez. And again, I, I hope I'm pronouncing uh, her name correctly. But she's on the support team at Microsoft for ASP.NET. And man, she writes the most detailed blog posts about how uh, she's encountered and fixed and address some of the bugs that, that customers send them and also that they find in ASP.NET. And she's a prolific blogger. She's got a lot of content. So it, if you just if you want to learn about the process of debugging in, in a very pragmatic way, uh, Tessa's blog has a lot of really great information along those lines. So check out shrinkster.com slash 102i. That's 102i. Now, 
We're talking to John Robbins today. And I got to tell you, I've interviewed quite a few people, but this guy was just a lot of fun. You know, as a as a host, your job is to go in and and make your guest feel welcome. Well, just getting on the phone with him, he made me feel feel just right at ease from the very beginning. Um, he's he's just a, a very humble, self-effacing guy, but you can tell by talking to him, he knows his stuff. He's been there before. He's just he's got to be a great guy to work with. So let's get into talking to John Robbins about his experiences and his advice on debugging .NET applications. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Uh, it's it's great to to have you here, and you've had a, a lot of experience writing and speaking. But for in case there's just anybody in the audience who doesn't know, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? I uh, think thanks, Craig. Uh, uh, as as Craig mentioned, I've been in the business a long time. Uh, I've uh, I've been doing Windows development since about 1990, and um, I spent a lot of time at a company called Numega, and we developed a lot of uh, performance and debug uh, performance analysis tools and debugging tools like uh, Bounce Checker and Soft Ice and that kind of stuff. And I was one of the first engineers there. And uh, after my time at Numega, I co-started a, a company with Jeffrey Richter, Jeff Proceis, and a business guy Louis Frazier called Wintelec, and that's where I'm at now. And and my main mission in life is to debug and tune uh, other people's applications. So uh, my life is just, you know, one giant emergency to the next. So. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does that pan out? Well, it's panned out pretty good. You know, Winnelec's been going on for eight years now, and, you know, we've got a, a big consulting side. We do a lot of, a lot of custom development, a lot of really high-end stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, what happened is that when I worked at New Mega, uh, I had a, a, a column in MSDN Magazine, the Bug Slayer column, and I just, you know, people out of desperation would just send me emails going, we've got, a, we've got this problem, we don't know what to do. And I realized that there was, I was getting enough of this that maybe there was an opportunity for a business there. And, you know, tying that together with, uh, you know, two brilliant guys, Guys, uh, Jeff Richter and Jeff Proceis, uh, you know, we were able to, to bring together a big training component to that as well. And over time, we built a pretty huge consulting business as well. So, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of need. I, I know that, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to create things. And it's like once, once I get hit with something that's a pretty obscure bug, I just like, I almost panic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of people are that way. It's it's neat that that you have the the skill or the ability or the gift or whatever to be able to to find the things that are are really difficult to find. Well, I, th I think it's it's not really so much a gift as it is um, a, a lot of luck, <laughs> because uh, you know it, it's. It, I think a lot of it is, is that I have been in the Windows business for a long time. So uh, you know, I started back when you wrote everything in C. So right. uh, you know, the real you know from the lowest levels forward is uh, so you know just over the years you just accumulate a, you know oh that's how a message goes through the system oh that's how that's the difference between single threaded apartment and multi threaded Department. And so it's just seeing a lot of these uh, uh, patterns over and over that sometimes allow you to focus on, you know, where, where folks are having a problem. And I think, you know, with, with today's world of .NET, it, it's, an, it's a wonderful environment. I, I would not want to go back and develop in C anymore, trust me. But uh, .NET lets you get your job done. But the problem is, is that when you have problems, your problems are now compounded because there's this whole black box uh, of the runtime and Windows and everything else that a lot of people haven't a had had a chance to really spend a lot of time with. Right. Well, how much of the the CLR and what happens underneath, where most of us are writing code, do you think that the standard developer needs to know about? <laughs> 
Well, I, I always tell everyone that, that if you haven't read uh, Jeffrey Richter's CLR via C-sharp, you're in trouble. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's no other word for it because uh, you know, there, there's three top concerns that any .NET developer has, and the first one is memory. And the second one is is memory, and the third one is memory. <laughs> I think I saw that one coming. Yeah, I, I think you know because it, you know, like anything else, if if the garbage collector is is, is obviously a, a game changer in how we develop applications from from the old days, but you know what people fail to realize is that when that garbage collector is running, none of your code is running because that suspends all your threads, all your other work. So you know the the more problems you have uh, misusing memory, uh, the worse it is. And it is literally uh, uh, the blackest of boxes trying to find um, what generation is my object in. So it's, it, it's you know, and yeah, don't get me started on why we can't see this easily in Visual Studio. <laughs> but, you know, you're down to looking at mini dumps with uh, the SOS and, and uh, X extension for WindyBug, and that, that's painful. So can you give any tips besides uh, reading his book that, that developers can learn how to write fewer bugs? Yeah, well, I think with, with .NET, it's, you know, the, we're, it's so fortunate we don't have crashes anymore, right? Because, you know, the, the, the runtime does not let you run off the end of memory and go corrupt some other object, right? You get, you get an exception uh, as soon as you do that. So that solves a lot of the pain that we had in, in the older days. But I think today what you need to do is realize uh, there are so many moving parts. And, uh, you know, just realizing that, there, that you know, it, it's your use of the framework class library that in a lot of ways causes your problems. And don't be afraid to uh, uh, get, pull Reflector out or use the .NET reference source code. And look at these objects that you're using. If, if you're going to go create an XML document class, for example, you know, realize things like, okay, let's go take a look at that and see what the fields are. See, you know, kind of look, get, get a, a glance at how it works because, you know, to continue to pick on that XML document, if you've got um, uh, the XML document, it, it makes it very nice to, to work with the DOM, right? The, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's a piece of cake to add and remove nodes. But there's a string behind there, right? An XML string. And if you're adding and removing those nodes, everybody seems to forget that, oops, strings were immutable in .NET. <laughs> so uh, you know, if, if you add something to that string, .NET throws out the, the old string and then recreates a new one. Right. And, you know, things like this add up to horrific performance problems very quickly. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing. I think something else folks need to learn is about uh, multi-threaded development. You know, uh, there, there's a, a lot of stuff on MSDN, some very, very good stuff on MSDN, right? Microsoft's got big teams of people working on this stuff now. You know, go, I think it's msdn.com or uh, msdn.microsoft.com slash uh, parallel computing. And there's a lot of great articles and white papers up there about taking advantage of multiple threads. And I think a lot of people have a lot of problems with that because they're not used to thinking of truly two things executing at once. I mean, heck, even my laptops now all have dual cores in them. Yeah. And these server apps, right? Yeah. <laughs> and these server apps, you know, we're talking, if people are now starting to talk about buying eight, CPU system, so that means eight things are running at once. So, wow. uh, so I think that's the next area where we're going to be seeing a lot of debugging work. <laughs> now, if for people to learn and, and truly understand those concepts, uh, you know, it's obviously you have to buy a book and you have to read about it and everything. And uh, I asked this question to Jeffrey Richter when when I interviewed him, but 
What do you think would be a good proof of concept type of uh, an application that people could build in order to, to really understand it, see it, and, and, and play around with having to debug an application like this? What's a, an easy way to a- enter into this, that space? Yes, yeah, something small. <laughs> don't, don't try to go you know, build something big because it gets overwhelming. You know, uh, what I've recommended to people in the past is, is write a tool that searches for files. So you would point it at a directory and it would search a directory tree, but build it so that each directory you find goes on another thread. Okay. So you have kind of this reader-writer situation where you've got all these threads scouring the directories. It's something everybody pretty much understands. And, uh, you know, it, it, it builds up pretty quickly. If, say, you started in your root, you know, the root drive, C colon backslash, you know, you could get, you know, 60, 70 threads very, very easily running at the same time. That will force you to work with the thread pool. That will, uh, you know, teach you to work about, you know, queued user work items. Because if you start with something like ASP.NET and go to async pages immediately, Ah, you know, <laughs> forget it. Right. <laughs> right. So you know, to try to think something that that you know is is as that proof of concept like that that would be uh, uh, very very helpful for you to something that you can wrap your head around, but something that would turn on you know fifty threads at once, and then you start seeing kind of what's happening. Are you a test driven development uh, practitioner? Completely and yeah. totally. Uh, I was so lucky uh, years and years ago um, when I first started doing Windows development, I worked for a government contracting firm and we got a, a job uh, to do a, a, this really cool application. This is before the internet was big, so don't laugh. <laughs> it was an app so that AIDS researchers could share information better. And it mm-hmm. was a, a client app that ran on Windows 3.0, 3.1, and connected to a Unix server. And they could post messages and forms. And it was done under contract for the Center for Disease Control. And my boss and I, who interestingly enough was the QA guy, and I was the developer, so I reported to a tester. And it was a small enough app. Two of us could do this because it, it really wasn't that big. You know, just a little bit of email, a little bit of forums, and that was about it. Right. But every day, my boss and I came in and said, you know, we never know if the right piece of information ever goes through our system to help, help somebody put the pieces together right. to solve AIDS. But boy, if it did, what a contribution to humanity. And so we were highly motivated to get this right the first time. And my boss essentially taught me test-driven development because him being a tester, he wanted my code printed out so he could hand walk it. <laughs> oh, wow. And he, yeah, and he wanted it, obviously, electronically so he could test it. So I did my first um, uh, set of code, that, you know, one of the library pieces, and I gave it to him. And two days later, he comes into my office and he jumps up on my desk, okay, he physically gets up on my desk and starts dancing around, screaming at me, I found a bug in your code, and he <laughs> threw the code back at me, you know, the printed, printed stuff. And right. I didn't want this jerk dancing on my desk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you better believe... Uh, you know, I read up everything. I, I went to, a, to the bookstore and read everything I could about testing that night because I didn't want this jerk dancing on my desk. <laughs> and um, I learned about code coverage and things like that. And so I would go, you know, what I did is I fixed those bugs and added some more stuff to that module. And I used the debugger as a code coverage tool because we didn't have them back in those days. And I set a breakpoint on every single executable line, and I ran it until I hit a breakpoint. And when I, I clear it and then continue to run, and I had 100% code coverage on that code. 
Wow. So I took the code back into his office, threw it in his face, and said, you're not a man unless you find a bug in my code. Nice. <laughs> so that's how I learned test-driven development before anybody ever called it test-driven development. Right. Uh, so, you know, I guess, I guess the sexy term of guy dancing on your desk is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to fly with most people. Yeah, it's not going to fly. So I'm a huge, huge proponent of test-driven development because I was very lucky. That's how I've been developing since I... Got, first got paid for software. So what's your TDD environment right now? Oh, it, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, big, big lover of what the, the Visual Studio team has done. So I've done, uh, I do everything uh, in Visual Studio and, you know, I, you know I, I, I've analyzed all the tools out there. There's some very good open source tools, but uh, if you can get the money to get the full version of Visual Studio, you know, they've got the great web testing tools, they've got the great library testing tools. So, uh, you know, like I was just working on something today, uh, this morning, where I write maybe 15 lines of code, including comments, and then I'm immediately writing a test for it. Mm. And I just easily build up the tests uh, that way. And you know, just you know, I'm not an abs absurd about it. Like some people are, like write every single test before you write a line of code. Eh, come on. Uh, <laughs> so I just uh, I, I just build it up 10 lines of code, and I immediately have to run it. In fact, I break out in hives if I write more than 20 lines of code without an execution. <laughs> Can we get a picture of that? Oh, no, not the hives, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but te test-driven development, it's the only thing that, that I've found that truly works. Um, I, there's many people that, you know, get all excited about agile development, and you know, I've seen fistfights between people going, oh, Scrum is better than Crystal and vice versa. But at the end of the day, um, the important thing that test-driven development enforces is that code coverage. Right. That's the only metric you've got. Hmm. That, tells you if you're if you're succeeding as a developer uh, are you on Twitter no I'm not I I, uh, I, uh, I just never you know, I'm I'm an older guy, and uh, you know, I uh, I just never uh, uh, got into a lot of that. Uh, you know, exposing yourself stuff, and right. I think there's some interesting stuff that goes on there. But uh, uh, I like to have deeper conversations. I, I uh, you know don't use IM that much. I'd right. rather have a, a, a deeper email conversation right. or pick up the phone. And I, I think it's just a, a factor of age, you know. Yeah. Uh, compared to the most most of the folks doing development, I'm a little on the higher side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I tweeted to uh, to whomever that uh, you were coming on the show, and so I've got uh, a couple questions here from from sure. the audience. Um, Aaron Lurch wants to know if you could tell us about some of the more memorable or difficult bugs that uh, that you can come up with. Do you have any good stories for us in that regard? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, the ones that, that I, I can legally tell you, because sometimes we, <laughs> the one problem we have is that, that people um, uh, it, it, it would literally tell us in legal documents and everything that if we even mention that, that <laughs> we even talk to their company, they're going to sue us into oblivion. Uh, you know, I wish, uh, you know, hey, they're paying the bills, right? But I think a lot of people are very, very afraid that if, if they had to bring in somebody from the outside to fix something, that, right. you know, their reputation is going to suffer. And I, I think that's the word, you know, a bad thing, but, you know, that's what those guys do. Well, but, you don't have to be specific as far as who it was for or anything. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, uh, one of the wilder ones, this was back uh, in the native days, um, I got a, um, 
my wife had dictated a computer-free weekend right? mm. <laughs> where, uh, you know, couldn't touch the computer and, you know, fair enough. And, but that Monday, uh, I had to go, uh, to, uh, Microsoft to, uh, because I, I didn't live in, in, in the Seattle at that time. So I had to, I was traveling out to Microsoft and I called the office. This is not too long after we started Winilag, and uh, our office manager uh, answered the phone. She goes, did you call that guy back? And I'm like, what guy? She goes, this guy started calling like about 7 o'clock Friday night, and it was started out kind of like, hey, can you give me a call back? And oh, she said no. by, by, by Sunday evening, he called like 10, 15 times, and uh, her exact words were he was squealing like I'd did when I was 12 at an Elvis concert. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, he's on fire, isn't he? <laughs> and, uh, and so I called the guy and I said, well, where are you? And, and, he, go, and he says to me, where, where are you? And I said, well, I'm on my way to the airport. He goes, good, when are you going to get here? And I'm like, who are you and what's going on? Um, he said, didn't you get my messages? I said, no, it's a, I had a computer for your weekend, so I didn't check email. I'm, I'm on my way to Microsoft for a very important meeting. Uh, and he goes, no, you're not. You're coming to where I am to go f come fix this bug. And I'm like, geez, I can't. I've got this meeting with some very, very important people at Microsoft, and everybody's booked up right now. And um, then the guy started squealing like a 12-year-old girl <laughs> in an Elvis concert. And he, he's just desperate to get this fixed. And he's saying things like, if, if we don't get this fixed, we're going out of business. The CIO of this major oil company is going to lose his job. Oh, my uh, gosh. I mean, yeah, this is serious stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, I have to go to this meeting, sir. And he goes, well, is it a 24-hour meeting, you know, 24-hour-a-day meeting? I said, well, it's not. It's 9 to 5. And he said, I'll take you. And he literally says, I'll take you from 501 to uh, 859. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, that's not going to work because I need to get my sleep. I said, I'll give you from 6 p.m. to midnight, though, because, uh, you know, I want to do what I can to help you out. And he go, and he pulled the phone away from his face, and he goes, get on the get on a plane. He's going to be in, in Ridmond, Washington. And I was like, what was that all about? He goes, well, the two engineers are flying up with the servers. They're going to meet you up there. <laughs> and um, I said, okay, that's cool. Uh, he said, yeah, we're going to have to rent an apartment because it's a five machine solution. I'm like, great. Um, so no trouble. We'll make it happen. And I said, now what type of app is it? And the, the, this is the point where I wanted to throttle the client. He goes, uh, you have to sign the NDA first. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you're, you're kidding me, right? You know, I'm going to be on a plane stopping over in Denver. This will give me a chance to think oh, about it. And gosh. So I, I have to hang up, get my business guy on the phone. Lewis works out the thing. I stop in Denver, and then I call the guy back, and that's when I started squealing like a 12-year-old girl at an Elvis concert. This was a smart card application. And it ran on five different servers, one of them being Citrix. So you plug the smart card in, smart card API, everything runs inside LSASS. And that's the security subsystem in Windows. And that is almost impossible to debug because if you click outside the debugger, you have to reboot the machine because LSASS is hung. Mm. Oh, this is miserable. So I show up the first night, and uh, the guys can barely stand. One of the guys was telling me he hadn't been home in five weeks. They've been Whoa. working on this, spent uh, seven figures of consulting time trying to fix this. Uh, you know, this is really serious. And it takes most of the day for me to figure out what the app is. And they, um, they had this big notebook full of printouts. Here's all the places where we got the crash. They had never seen the crash in the exact same place twice. And, ooh, that looks like an uninitialized pointer problem. This is, and there, there's a ton of code with this thing, if you, as you can imagine. So... Um, I'm getting really desperate, but I look through the source code uh, just 
you know, just randomly opening files, just trying to get an idea of how this code, what this code looked like. And I saw massive amounts of templates and massive amounts of native C++ exception handling. And uh, oh my God, I was like, oh, you guys use a lot of templates here, which you know, a lot of STL, advanced STL, so it's read never code. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're object-oriented gurus. I'm like, oh boy, this is, <laughs> is, is going to be self-described. Yeah, and they said, uh, well, we've got, uh, you know, and I said, you got all these catch dot, dot, dots to catch ellipsis all over the place. you got to take those out. And they said, well, we can't take them out because our app doesn't run if we don't have those in there. And I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but your app doesn't work now, right, with the minute. So, you know, this was a few years ago, and catch ellipsis and native code eat structured exception errors in those days. Hmm. So you're not catching just you know, your throws, you're catching access violations and invalid opcodes, all of that. You got to take this out. And um, so I had to whip up a sample and prove to them, and they didn't realize this. So um, they, I said, you got to comment all of these things out so that we can get a one-to-one -one mapping between root cause and death of the app. Right. And uh, they call me a couple of times, you know, the next day, and they're saying they're having all this trouble getting the app to run. And uh, I could come back in the next day, and these guys, the guys are in bed, and they're you know, nasty note on the door saying, you know, it's all my fault. Nothing works now. So I randomly just picked a machine where this thing ran, and I started stepping through it. And the first function I stepped through in, in that initializes something in DLL main called some object, they had commented out catch ellipsis in the open and curly brace and the end curling brace, and they left the return false <laughs> inside there. <laughs> And, uh, oh no! So what was happening? Yeah, nothing was initializing. Uh, big surprise. Uh, <laughs> when you forget, the so my contribution to the code was to comment out uh, that return false, and the app ran and it crashed on one of the machines. You have to reboot all of them at this point, and I run it again. This time it crashed on another machine, but at the exact same address. And that's mm. the, only the, the first time they'd, we'd ever seen, they'd ever seen it crash the same place twice. Um, and it takes about like 15, 20 minutes to reboot all of this stuff and get everything set up. So I go through it again. They wake up just as I hit the third crash in a row at the exact same spot. And I tell them, look, I've got this crash three times in a row. And they're like, no way. And I said, watch this. And I reboot everything, uh, run it four times in a row. Right? Hey, that's a duplicatable bug. We're seeing the exact same address on different machines, though. So it's it's during some of their initialization with the smart card API, and we start walking through it. And uh, I'm reading the code, and uh, the other guy is reading the code that this is calling. And I had the other guy set up with the smart card API documentation. So I would say, you know, like, okay, I'm going to call this. What does that do over here? And you know, because right. we're looking at the area where the problem occurred. And I happened to, you know, was looking at this one buffer that was passed into uh, a Windows API, one of the smart card things that Windows provides for you. And I said, how big is this buffer supposed to be? And the guy reading the smart card doc said 250. I said, this buffer's 25. <laughs> And this was the most amazing bug, right? All bugs in the end are, are something stupid. Right. Like this one was, what was so, so amazing about this, this was a structure, on, uh, an array on the stack. But because of padding and everything else, this structure contained cryptographic data, time data, things oh, like that yeah. for different fields. It, was, it would corrupt up the stack, but skip every return address. And so it would go like 10... 15 functions up the stack, whacking all the local variables with random data. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, yeah. These guys spent over a million dollars fixing that. that bug. Yeah. And and how, no, they didn't. Unfortunately, they didn't spend it with us, but uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, all, yeah, all all of their time and everything else. Right, right. Uh, like that, and uh, you know, and it's it's you know, it, it's this is just the classic case where folks didn't sit down and, and say, oh, okay, you know, what are the ramifications of using things like catchalipsis? What are the ramifications of using uh, a lot of templates in 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 the implementation Windows environment? Hmm. So, it co nearly cost a lot of people a company and. You know, wow. the CIO of an oil company you know and love, uh, his job. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you you just created the, you just gave me a gift because that's the perfect segue into the, the next piece that I wanted to talk about. And that is those things that you're saying that the people overlook and take for granted. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some of the equi equivalent things that we see now in .NET? Well, you know, I talked about the XML document, you know, thing. And, you know, really what it is is that they, they take everything for granted, but it, it's the, the key. And I, what I always say is, you know, you don't need to know these technologies like an expert because there's too many of them now, right? You mm -hmm. know, when I started in PC development, it was back in the DOS days. And for the young folks listening, there was something before Windows XP. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you could keep two books on your shelf and you knew everything. Uh, and now it's, there's too much. But how you want to look at technologies are the friction points. Where could this potentially uh, give me some some problems. And uh, so let's, let's just take, you know, in a .NET case that talks to native code, because it's always paid invoke that cause people problems. You have a, a wrapper class on an in-proc com object, right? Something that, that, that com hands you. Right. And, uh, right, you know, that wrapper class is going to allocate, and then it's going to have to call co-create instance EX to create the in-proc com object. Well, what does com do? Well, there's a GUID there that that's how you identify the object. So the first friction point you have is, well, is this thing uh, uh, registered correctly, right? Mm -hmm. If it didn't get registered, of course, com's going to fail uh, in that case. But there's other friction points because what happens if you have a corrupt registration where you register the, the GUID, the IID, but you didn't get the, the path set correctly for the object? Okay. So guess what? It finds the IID, but then it can't find the object. Then you get really cool error messages out of com like E under bar failed. <laughs> and you got no idea, right? No idea what happened. So, you know, let's say com manages to find the, the DOL, then it has to do what? It has to load it. So where does it, wh where could it fail there? Now, this is a native thing, but DLL main could return false. And if it returns false because somebody had a bug in their DLL main processing, that means the DLL is immediately unloaded and com just goes, uh, I don't know, E under bar <laughs> unexpected. And right. yeah, you know, that's not going to help you out a whole lot. Uh, then com has to do one more thing before it creates the object, and that's go find the class factory exports out of that native DLL. So, you know, that's kind of how you want to look at these technologies as to where is this, where, you know, based on the documentation, where's the things that could cause me some grief? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can apply that to almost anything in .NET, you know, web services, you know, the same kind of thing. Where, where okay, if we're going to call this web service, what, what do we have to get set up in order to call it? That's probably the things where you can have some problems. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, always look at your technologies from that standpoint. And I think that that'll that'll help you out. And that's you know I I, I am a basically a in my opinion a, a almost un, unemployable developer. To be honest with you, I don't know that much. You know, I've never professionally dealt with databases, for example. Uh, you know, I don't do a, I do zero UI. 
um, stuff. Console.rightline's cool enough for me. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I you know I don't do any you know WTF any of that stuff. I you know in the big scheme of things, I don't think I'm that qualified. But I I know just enough about. Well, from reading these technologies and looking at their public API, where could I potentially have problems that all of a sudden I can debug things that a lot of people are like, wow, you know everything. No, I don't. I'm really not that you know, uh, experienced of a developer in most of the stuff people are dealing with today. Hmm. So, you know, I think, in, in, uh, you know, but I'm more, more important, I'm willing to admit my stupidity. <laughs> I know my limitations, <laughs> and if I am having trouble, I pick up the phone and call somebody who does know what what they're doing. Right, um, right. Yeah, I'm I'm not an alpha geek. Right. Well, you're definitely um, a humble guy. <laughs> I think a lot of people might disagree with some of the things you said, but uh, I I definitely understand the the heart of of what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. The longer I'm in this field, the stupider I get. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel that way. It's, you know, like you're saying, the the amount of information that's thrown every day at us is just it's staggering. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how people keep up. You know, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you just have to pick your pick your spot and stick with it. And and for you, it's it's been debugging, and that's that's been a you know it's it's really paid off. So uh, now one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was you, you recently did a session at DevScovery regarding performance. Yes. And yes. one of the, the items that you wanna, wanted to highlight in that talk was areas that commonly cause per- performance bottlenecks in code. Mm-hmm. Can, can you shed some light on some of those things for us? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, when, when it comes to .NET, it, it's anything dealing with the garbage collector. <laughs> because it's our you know, my, old it, nemesis. It, 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 well, it's my mission in life is to get people to realize that when the garbage collector is running, your code is not. And uh, you know, so and and because we have generation zero, one, and two, generation zero is, is only 256k by default, very very small. So that garbage collection is very fast. Uh, generation one is one megabyte by default. It grows, but that's what it start at, starts out as. So you can imagine that generation one garbage collections don't run that much, but when they do, they they have to run for a lot longer. Generation two is because uh, that's 10 megabytes by default hmm. and, and initialized, and it almost never runs in the big scheme of things. So you know, what happens is that you know, if you hold on to memory too long in .NET applications, you've, you know, that memory, it, even though you, you, you no longer reference it, that memory is still live. So you, you see your memory, if you watch it in Perfmon, the, you know, just look at the .NET memory uh, number of bytes in all heaps performance counter, you're going to see that go up and up and up and up and up, and then it drops. That's generally when a Gen, a, a Gen 2 collection occurs. And your job as a .NET developer is to keep as much stuff out of Gen 2 as possible because that memory's not gotten rid of until, you know, like, like uh, I was showing folks something, you know, like with PowerShell. I'd been running PowerShell th- during a presentation, and after a couple hours, we had like 500 Gen 0 collections, uh, 60 Gen 1 collections, and two Gen 2 collections. Hmm. So, you know, the, the longer you hold on to things in .NET, uh, you know, uh, the, the, worse it's, the worse it gets. And, th- and that, that with, with those long, large chunks of memory that you have you know, up in Gen 2, whew, 
it, it eats you alive uh, from a performance standpoint. So, you know, it's very hard for people to realize this, but it's actually better to recalculate stuff in a lot of scenarios than it is to store it. Really? And yeah, because every, you know, because think about it, when that garbage collector's running, you're not. <laughs> right. And so, you know, think long and hard before you hold on to something. You know, allocate a few, you know, few long-lived objects at startup, cache your databases. Of course, that's a, that makes, you know, database access is the worst thing ever. You know, use caches effectively, but uh, think, you know, do, you know, Think about the stuff, the, the simple stuff, you know, like, well, we've got that XML string that we're passing around. Do we re could we not just read that in again? You know, would that be faster? You know, those kind of things. And unfortunately, .NET is non-deterministic, so I can't give you the exact rules like I could, I could give you in native code. Right. But it's just, you know, that's the main thing is to just realize that the garbage collector is helping you out, but there's a trade-off for that. So and when, that's performance. When do you start tipping the balance when do you start to question those things like i would think uh you know having a, a string available in memory you know I, I don't want to read from the file system again so i would think i want to keep that around at what point like how big should the string be before you start thinking of those things yeah it's see that's that's it, that's where this this is all fuzzy stuff because right. there's not you know it, because it, it depends on what's going on in your application and it's more just being aware that hey we've got this uh uh you know this garbage collector thing let's not let it work too much and i think a lot of it is is you know the one thing i found is that people don't have uh performance characteristics of their application so you know as your app's starting to come together you know make some time to sit down get realistic performance numbers based on a specific set of data something that's very reproducible because then you can start looking at it and saying we added this feature, how did it change? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because by the time the whole app is together, it's almost too late, right? Because now <laughs> we're going to talk about every architecture. Uh, but the, uh, so it, it's, it's more, you know, starting, you know, you have to push performance uh, down as part of that, that developer testing phase so that, that they're aware this is, what it, this is what it looks like when I pump this kind of data in. Hmm. Now I'm going to go make these tweaks. Is that going to improve or improve it, or worse yet, make it bad? Right. So it's it, it's getting the feel for the application and and seeing what it's doing based on the data that you're pumping into it. So it's it's all about quantifiable numbers. Uh, and so you know and, and you know and I found like crazy things sometimes just depending on the app. There was a, I was working on something, and um, in in one scenario, um, it turned out. Strangely enough, because this was a, a bigger app, in one key loop, it was actually better to allocate a string builder every time through the loop than to allocate it outside. Really? And, and hold on to it, yeah. And, and now, you know, but yet, if you went to another loop and did that, it was, you know, it would be what you would expect. But because of the pressure on the garbage collector, um, you know, the, the, we were building up some bigger string that it was just, wow, look at this. If we, you know, we were here, then I moved it into the for loop where I allocate it, do the work and it can get rid of it. That kept it down in Gen 0 and Gen 1 instead of having it immediately get bumped up to Gen 2 uh, after like, you know, 10, 15 times through the loop. Interesting. So it was, yeah, it, you know, but, but it, you've, you've just got to get those characteristics uh, for the .NET frame, you know, what, what, what you're doing with .NET to make, to make the smart decisions like that. Right. Very cool. Well, sir... I think that's a show. It's been an absolute pleasure 
Thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, Greg. And, you know, if any, any the, the listeners got any questions, uh, you know, feel free to send me an email at, at john at wintelect.com, J-O-H-N uh, at wintelect.com. I'll be happy to answer any questions that any, anybody has. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hey, he gives his email address at the end of the interview. Hey, some people do that, but you can, I, I don't know. I just felt like he was serious about uh, wanting to, to reach out and to help people. If you want to check out his blog, you can uh, point your browser to shrinkster.com slash 102J, 102J, and that'll take you right to his blog. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. I hope to catch you next time. This is Craig Shoemaker, and I will be talking to you soon. Pixelate Radio, on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel8ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics. Powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com